0: Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Our show. Today, my special guest is Michelle DeBellis, and we'll be talking about her new novel, The Music We Make, one novel. An introspective architecture student's life takes a shocking turn one New Year's Eve, devastating him and propelling him toward his dreams in The Music We Make. Reminiscent of the classic A Star Is Born, Renee's debut novel follows Santiago D'Angelo, whose personal tragedy acts as a catalyst to pursue his passion to become a professional musician and songwriter. Michelle DeVallis is author of multiple award, um, excuse me, author of this multiple award winning novel, The Music Remake. Her vision is to deliver entertaining stories that help us make sense of our humanity. She is the recipient of the Literary Titans Book Award, a Kirkus star, inclusion in the Kirkus Best Indie Books of 2022, a nomination for the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, and the Penn Hemingway Debut Novel Award. For more information, you can visit Michelle's website, which is MichelleRene dot com, And that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-R-E-N-E-D-E-B-E-L-L-I-S.com. Or you can just go to to Amazon and type in the the music we make and her book will be number one right there, number one option for you to choose from. Before I bring on today's guest, I'd like to play a clip of the song, Bird of Paradise, written and produced by Dominic DeBellis, husband of Michelle DeBellis, today's guest and author of The Music We Make. The song is an integral part of the story. So with that, I'd like to welcome Michelle to the show. Good day, Michelle.
1: Good day. Thank you for having me on. It's such a, such a treat to be on your show.
0: Thank you. I'm looking forward to, to talking um, with you. Um, I always – I have I have a, a real appreciation for authors who write novels, you know, and what's interesting is, is there so many times in novels, you know, the, the lessons – Learned. Um, it, it seems to be a, a wonderful way to kind of convey lessons, you know, w- without being preachy, <laughs> for, for people. So um, I'm really looking forward to finding out for our listeners more about the music we make. So let's start. The name of my show is Bringing Inspiration to Earth. So I usually like to start with, you know, finding out from the guest what was the inspiration for their project. So for you. What, what, take us back to the time when, when the music we make kind of popped into your head.
1: Well, you know, that was why I was so excited to come on your show is because this was such an inspired story and it really goes back to the inspiration, um, that began for the song, which this, this book is, is based on or inspired by, which is called Bird of Paradise and in, in that story, my husband um, had lost his mother very suddenly some years ago. And in his grieving, um, he heard four notes from heaven from his mother um, that led him to write this gorgeous song. And when he and I were just getting together, he played it constantly on the piano, this beautiful, beautiful piece of music. And it never went anywhere. It didn't, it didn't have a beginning. It didn't have an end. Um, it was just this beautiful piece of music that he played every time he said that um, regularly. And so um, he, he would tell me the story about how his mother had sent him these notes and how he just felt like he needed to – there was something he needed to unlock in order to unlock this. But then that didn't really appear the be by. And um, during this time, I was in a difficult car accident and um, had surgery after surgery um, for, for, for a period of about a year and described many, many rounds of Vicodin and other pharmaceuticals, but specifically the opiates. And I had always intended to write a novel and it was sort of like, sort of what is it going to be about? What am I going to write about? Is it going to be, you know, about something that happens now? Is it going to be historical? And I began to get the idea that the novel I was going to write was going to be about a young man who was in a car accident, that he lost his mother and said, survived. And while he's suffering from the intense emotional pain of the loss, um, he's also suffering from the pain of the um, of the accident itself and the surgeries. And so he really comes subject to his opiate addiction and falls much harder into it as a result of those two pains, the emotional and physical pain, sort of um, mounting against him equally. And I, I realized that, that just like my husband, Who had these four notes sent to him by his mother? That my character Santiago D'Angelo thinks. And there's this really beautiful moment in the beginning of the book where you see that he's just really reaching rock bottom with addiction and with his emotional well-being. And he um, and he calls out to his mother for help. It's sort of in a moment of such intense distress that momentarily forgets that she's not there, and calls out for help. And then. The help that he received is the inspiration for this song that he to write. And throughout the novel, a song is really symbolic of his own healing journey, um, healing himself through his opiate addiction, healing from the trauma of losing her, um, and also through the trauma of, of beginning a life that wasn't true to who he was supposed to be. That is, he was following his father's to become an architect, but really, um, wanted to be a professional musician had spent his entire life moving towards a musical career and in an effort to receive his father's approval was was going against that innate desire and quality his father's success. And so one of the things I love is um, that in the moment, right before the accident, after the accident, he and his mother are having this conversation while he's confessing that he doesn't want to have his life be about being an architect. And she says, I'll do whatever it takes to help you follow your dreams. And in that moment, the accident occurred. And, and a dear friend of mine who read the book, and, you know, a little bit of time has passed and messaged me and he said, it, it seems like when she said, I'd do anything to help you follow your dreams, that she would even give up her life. Because ultimately, after you story, you discover that he might not have ever pursued his dream. If it wasn't for this tragedy that became the catalyst between his into dream, and um, there's an idea throughout the book that things are neither good nor bad; um, they are what we choose to make of them. And I think that's really important when it comes to to thinking about <clears throat> our lives and um, and the cards we've been dealt and what we get to do with that. The choices always ours. Choices that we make on a
0: yeah. Well that that um the idea of the experiences of the characters being you know closely closely resembling your, you know, real life um experiences, I think uh would would have been would have made putting the emotion into into the book, um I wouldn't say easier but but you know but it's something that you're drawing from uh, now with the with a novel um is did you find that um that the real uh, how important the real life experiences were and um, being able to tell the story i mean like, like
1: you mentioned lot of my sensory from that firsthand experience. For example, um, the, it's written in the firsthand perspective and it's written in the present tense. And so there's this sense mm-hmm. of real immersion, immersion and and a lot of sensory experience. So a lot of the opiate addiction sensory experience was something that I was able to contribute firsthand. And I'm really proud of how it came across because I think that it gives you a lot of empathy for that particular type of addiction which is really an epidemic at this particular time. I think it always has been, but in in the U.S. right now, it um, is a particularly important issue. And this book um, just kind of brings it to light in a sense of empathy and the idea that the most important thing we can do to heal the pain at the heart of these types of addictions and situations is um, is to have people that love us
0: I'll make it whole again. Yeah. It is so interesting. Um, My show two days ago (laughs) was um, with a woman who wrote, uh, a psychotherapist, who wrote a book called Conscious Bravery, and it had to do with um, having to confront and live with, um, two adults, I mean two sons, or not adults, but but two sons in their youth um, who had challenges. One of them was an addiction, a drug addiction, and the other was a mental health uh, challenge. But um, the it seems you know in in her particular case it was you know providing that um, that support um, and um, validation of the person who's challenged. By addiction, you know, as as for their value, you know, in, in listening and um, you know, and, and just providing guidance, you know, and it seems in in your book that you you do that, you know, through through the the novel platform. Hers was through the psychotherapist platform, but it seems that the the important message of of having compassion um, and empathy for individuals who are, you know, living that challenge, um, you know, to to be able to to help them through that. So now, with you in the so the real life, you know, um, example, um, what what would you say was the? I mean, you obviously. Did not, or you may have had a little bit of the addiction aspect, but but you you know you may or may not have had that. So what um, was your um, experience from the you know from the um, being having to to use the drugs after the car accident to the point of not using them? You you know what I'm saying? I guess. the, you know, kind of what me, was yeah. your... Yeah, yeah, for, for legitimate reasons and, and, you know, and to the point of not having to continue beyond, you know, when, when the pain ceased. Or is the pain um, the main driving force, whether the pain's there, you know, that that's there, whether it be physical or emotional, um, you know, is that a kind of like maybe an underlying element, do you think, to... Whether or
1: that I mean, one one course mm-hmm. okay. in in my own experience, I did not have uh, an emotional pain situation that would deepen the physical pain that I was in and, and so, mm-hmm. as I moved through the physical pain becoming less and less based on time, um, it was a matter of choosing for me um, whether or not I wanted to continue having. This substance in my life that I was able to get to a point where it it became it became something that really um, I always said it was like taking a caffeine pill. Like at first you think, oh, you know, these things Mm -hmm. make you really woozy and tired and and just kind of eliminate the pain. But anyone who has taken opiates for a long period of time know that it ultimately becomes stimulant and it ultimately becomes something that you um, or I, I heard a report uh, about a, a very famous holder back who, um, after many years of suffering and will be an opioid addiction, he, um, came forward with it and he said that he would take 14 Vicodin to get out of bed in the morning. And when I read that, I thought, Oh God, this is this is exactly what I was talking about in my novel. And, and of course Santiago goes through, and it, it becomes something that he has to do to stay up to stay live and as he's pursuing a music career and, and, and becoming famous, needing to use that as a stimulus and a catalyst to have the energy to um to keep going. But there's there's a moment that he says, you know, or someone says to him and he begins to understand it and internalize it, sometimes the things we think are giving us power are really taking us power away. And I think that is true of all addictive substances. And as you said, the novel platform is a platform where you don't preach about anything, but you show readers something that they can tr- internalize for themselves. And so, one of my greatest hopes is that people can recognize all the things in their life that are they think are giving them power, that are really taking them power away. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that is, that's wonderful. <clears throat> you know, because I think when I. No. sorry, but um, when it comes time to um approaching the the issue of dependency um that the it, it really is kind of up to the individual to have to do some self um awareness you know in order to kind of get to that point where you know the the, the pain is dealt with and it's you know it's dealt with in a in a way that doesn't harm one you know. Someone um, and and the opiates is like you mentioned early on. You know, it is a a rampant um, challenge right now for for our country. I'm, I'm sure for others, but I mean, it's very recognizable here that it's um, something that that is uh you know. I mean, obviously we've got you know cross action suits and all kinds of stuff going on um, to try and, and, and battle that. And and I think if you can provide A story where someone who knows in that experience yet comes out, you know, on the other side, um, being healthier and and more clear and focused. That that I would think would instill hope in them. That you know, even though it's a fictional novel, but it it can it can happen to them. So, and quite often that's not an easy thing for them. Correct.
1: No, it, it's a very challenging thing, which is why we have the situation that we have in this country. Um, to, to look some obvious, and again, the the idea that is prevalent in this story is that the ability to to heal from the inside out and sort of take control, like you were talking about, and making your decisions on your own, really comes to having a support family and, um, and being loved unconditionally. And, in this story, one of the reasons it was a challenging for my character is because he had this really close relationship with his mother, and when he lost that, it sort of ignited all of his destructive qualities. And so we see him making a lot of destructive choices. And a lot of the feedback from the editorial review that I've had is that, you know, it's so easy to relate because we all have our own destructive tendencies. And sometimes they're brought on by tragedy and sometimes they're brought on by life itself. And so it's, it's really wonderful to have this this character who is so flawed that allows all of us to see the flaw in ourselves and go, oh, don't, don't, don't go that way, go this way, and then sort of say to ourselves, okay, I can go this way too. You know what I mean? I wanted to show people mm-hmm. um, the ways in which they, that will heal their own life in you their own days.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and quite often, when in a cycle of dependency, the idea that one has a choice even can be blurred, you know. And you know, it's it's so important to be able to at least prompt their imagination that or, or recognition, you know, that choices still do exist for them to make. Exactly. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about since we talked a little bit about uh, Santiago, um, but uh, there's also a there's always a (laughs) woman, Kitty Holiday. So what's that?
1: In
0: this case, there's two. Yeah. So tell us tell us about about the care, Well, both. But I, but I had in particular, you know, Kitty is a is a a real character, I guess.
1: <laughs> Kitty, Kitty is a real character. I like to think of Kitty Holiday as a modern day Scarlett O'Hara, who you know she's mm. ambitious, she has you know very strong opinions, and she's willing to break rules to get what she wants. And but at the same time, she's also she's also hurt, and she's hurting, and she has her own addictions to overcome, and, and part of that, again, to reinforce the idea of, of love and, and meaningful relationships, making us whole again, she sort of has that same kind of journey um, where I don't want to get too much away about what is her ultimate unconditional love for herself and, um, and what ultimately heals her, but um, but she has a journey that is very, very special and unique to the story as well, and to me, that's important as Santiago de She also has her own a first person perspective um and was so much fun to write and um so much fun to see the world through her eyes um like I said this kind of daring, ambitious woman who wants what she wants and um and really won't stop it much to get it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you know, as I have to kind of. I'm not kidding when you said fun, and you know, and I understand when you know when writing um, how one um, basically dives into or, or kind of, I mean, becomes becomes one with with the character. So, um, and, and when you were describing her and, and how fun the character she was to to write about, to me it seemed like um maybe there were aspects of uh Kitty that that aren't you but they did allow you to kind of um display them or or to I guess give into, so to speak, those perspectives. I mean is that um am I off on that <laughs> as far as the idea of the well, of I her think being
1: plunged. Because she in order to make her as as rich and as full a character as she is, I absolutely drew from a lot of my own experiences and my own traumas and um, and my own personal beliefs. And I just enjoyed getting to be her and mm-hmm. and living through her eyes and enriching her character so much so that she just feels like this wonderful that person that you get to well, I guess what I don't say is she's the kind of person that can sing. And so she has these really great lines throughout the book that are just they're just so fun and they're clever and they're they're entertaining. Um, and and then the heat between the two characters, Kitty and Santiago, the chemistry between them makes sure that's really intense in we love story. And I'm really, really excited about the dynamics that, that their love story brings to the book. I think it's just so fun and exciting to read.
0: Yeah, Any other woman? <laughs> the
1: The other love interest in this story, her name is Sophia, and she is really this sort of galvanizing force in his life that sort of makes him look at uh, his opiate addiction as something that he needs to resolve. Um, he looks to her as the sort of future that he could have that could be stable and, um, and something he could trust in and something that he can, can, to be supported and loved. And I think that he thinks that his relationship with her is what will make him whole. And I will say that this is not a romance novel. And so it doesn't necessarily have the ending you might be thinking of when I say those things but
0: um the hope that that gives him is is essential. So yeah. Well, it seems like you're, you know as far as archetypes you know that you've got, you know, the um the characteristics of, you know, of people who play important roles in our lives. You know, for, for, in order for us to, you know,
1: navigate it
0: less successfully or, or happily, um, that, you know, you have the tragedy, you've got the, you know, the, the individual that is also, um, uh, going through similar kinds of, of, of challenges, and then you've got that, the guiding force. Um, now, in your book, in part one of your book, um when you talk about uh, Santiago, D'Angelo, um, you talk a, a bit about, um pain, and, and talking, you know, talking about, uh, you know, basically the, the pain of, of Santiago, what he was going through. And, and in one of the chapters it says that my pain is all I have to offer. Um can you talk a talk a little bit about that? Cause i mean, I have known you know of you know a couple of individuals who you know their pain is um i mean t- to them their pain is who they are um you know and that that um so can you talk a little bit about the idea of you know um how um pain, uh, one's pain, um, you know, can sometimes end up being, a, a, a defining defining uh, you know, how one defines themselves. So, can you talk a little bit, of, like, you know, about the idea of,
1: I think that pain is an essential part of, especially at the beginning of the story, like you said, there's a line two leading up to the line you mentioned, where the pain introduces itself and, um, in that moment, he sort of experiences a pain so great that he now understands what pain is and um and then that pain from that moment on becomes his sort of um, this overwhelming power in his life and, and when he when he says the line that you mentioned, "My pain is all I have to offer he's um he's in a moment where he hasn't taken a Vicodin in a certain time period and he's fresh out of the hospital and his surgery pain is still very, very high. And he goes to see his mother for the very first time and she's on life support. And the family is in the middle of a decision of, are they going to continue to have her on life support even though the doctors tell her there's no brain activity or are they going to take her off of life support? And um, he's gone into the room and his father is there and he and his father haven't spoken, all he knows is that from his sister Lucy, that his father is blaming him for the acts. And um and he tries to hug his father and um his father won't hug him back. And he is in the moment of deciding whether or not he needs to take another painful because of all this intense physical pain that is sort of coalescing with all the emotional pain that all coming to a head and in that moment, he decides, no, my pain is all I have to offer. And he feels like he, he deserves the pain that he has. And um, later, uh, his sister, Lucy, convinces him when he's, again, not taking the pain, pill, um, because he wants to experience the pain as acutely as possible. He wants to feel it as intensely as he can. And and his sister comes in, and he's sort of like moaning in pain. Um, And she says, what are you doing? Why aren't you taking me? And, you know, I know that that's not how this is supposed to be. Mom wouldn't want me to suffer this way. And he decides right then and there, I'm not going to let pain rule my life. But at this particular moment of the story, it's also a moment that he gives in to his his addiction. He sort of says, I'm not going to let pain rule my life. I've not been taking these pain pills so that I could experience my pain as intensely as possible. Now here's my sister, who I trust, telling me I need to take these pills. I don't need to experience this pain. And that's also, even though that was supposed to be this loving, beautiful moment of support, um, became the catalyst for his opiate opiate addiction to set in. And um, so it was a little bit ironic in that particular moment, but um, he does decide – that he doesn't want pain to, or to be his defining point. Um, but he has, that decision has to change. So part of his character arc is moving away from, I, I don't want to experience pain to I don't need the opiate to keep me from experiencing my emotions. I can face my emotions because I have the love and support of these people and I also have this feeling place of following my dream, of of doing what I'm intended to do, of achieving my destiny, and again, writing this song, this beautiful song, "Bird of Paradise," uh, written by my husband, Don Bellas, which you can stream on on Apple Music or Amazon Music or Spotify. Um, you can just type in "Bird of Paradise" is Don McNeill, and, um, and you're, you will going to hear this gorgeous piece of music. But throughout the book, as he's writing this song, and there's these constant themes where you see him writing it, or now he's come up with the first lyric, and now he's with Sophia who's inspired the first lyric, and he feels like his time with her, his relationship with her, um, everything that's good for the song has come from his time with her, um, and yet there's also this, this feeling that he wants Kitty to help him with the song because she's a music producer, and, and he needs inspiration from her, and he's just sort of struggling to get inspiration wherever he can. But as all of these things are unfolding throughout the book, at a very rapid pace, um, we also see that the progress he's making on the song is about him becoming the man he needs to be, is about him solving these things on his own without needing um, one or the other. And, and really, ultimately, and this is one of the things I think is so beautiful, that – that this other female character in the book, which is his sister, um, is representative of, of, um, unconditional love, and ultimately her love is one of the greatest catalysts of the scene.
0: Wonderful. Well, we're halfway through the show already, Michelle, so I want to take just a, a quick break, Um and then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation, okay?
1: Wonderful, thank you.
0: everyone stay tuned? We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Michelle DeBellis, and we are talking about her new novel, The Music We Make, a novel. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is michellevernedebellis.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-R-E-N-E-D-E-B-E-L-L-I-S.com. And again, you can always go to Amazon.com, and and type in the the name of the book, "The Music We Make," and it'll pop up as your number one choice. So, okay, with that, we're back, Michelle.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Hello. I'd like to give the listeners uh, an easy way (laughs) to be able to find you in the book. So, um, so um, the the one of the most Common, uh, I would say, journeys for, for some folks is you know the pursuit of happiness. I mean, it's in the Constitution. The idea of pursuit of happiness. So, can you talk a little bit about um, you know how how that plays? I mean, in the book, I and mean, whether is who has you know that as one of their the uh, focus of theirs.
1: Okay, so I think that all of the characters, in a sense, are, in in the greater sense of the picture, are looking for their um, what would make them happiest. Um, I think they all have a certain idea of what that is. I think for Kitty, um, she has this lifelong goal of having a number one song, and um, she thinks that when she meets Santiago, I think that she thinks he is the means through which she can achieve that. Um, For Santiago, it becomes, he sort of gets obsessed with writing this song. And ultimately, we discover that that's because it's the one thing that can help him make peace with his mother's death. And it also is, um, again, the means through which he'll achieve uh, getting over his libidin addiction. And then for, for his sister Lucy, what would make her happy is to see her brother overcome his opiate addiction and, and to write the song. She is sort of the one who knows. She, she's there in the moment um, that he receives these four music notes of inspiration. He or She's the first person who tells about it, and she believes in it. Whereas other people, like his father, for example, they've been all bit a bumbo-jumbo, and they don't really buy into it. But um, but Lucy, absolutely, with her whole heart, believes in it. And she believes that a lot of, you know, when he's making good decisions, it's um, it's encouraging all of that to work for him. And when he's making bad decisions, it's working against any epithelmite like, to achieve the song. And she's all about helping him achieve the song. And really, you know, of that goes throughout the entire storyline of the novel. But um, they're all... Searching for what will make them happy. And for Sophia, it feels like it's this relationship with this beautiful young man, um, who she's so attracted to. And, and while she doesn't want to deal with having an addict in her life, she sort of goes against her intuition that says not to do that, uh, for the chance to be with him. And, um, mm-hmm. so I think, I think, that idea of the pursuit of happiness is absolutely present in the story. And I think ultimately, um, while the the ending is not a fairy tale uh Hollywood ending, or it's certainly not what I think people would expect, um, I think that it made me very happy. <laughs> and I think that mm-hmm. um, you know from from all of the people that um have reviewed the book and um, that are at I'm close with
0: I think they were both surprised and and very happy with the way that the book wrapped up with the ending. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the one problem I have with Hallmark movies; <laughs> they, always, they always end up with that happy go after, in, in the sense that I mean, you won't find one of them where they, you know, where it's uh, there's still <laughs> confusion or conflict or anything like that. But I I think that the idea of you know having um a complicated ending, you know, is much more realistic. And I think that people like me would like, okay, well that, I can kind of believe that more than anything, you know, and what okay. I think you do too is that you're kind of allowing the reader to recognize that their journey, you know, may be just as complicated, but that's, but that's okay.
1: Yes. It is
0: okay. Yeah. So now um when it comes to the idea of you know, of fame and recognition is kind of being a the and I mean where you've got, you know, how many quote influencers you feel that you know that is that is where it's at. Um can you talk a little bit about the idea of you know, I get the cost of fame, you know, um, or the uh, impact that it would have on one's life. So, in, in the in the book, how how do you deal with um, that aspect of life?
1: Well, I think the fame aspect is a really crucial part of this story. Um, you know, I think it's the most natural thing in the world for someone who has the desire to be a singer, or songwriter, or musician, um, to feel like the end goal is fame. And certainly um, Santiago wants fame. Uh, He has a music teacher who's a very important part of his story. Her name is Barbara Holiday. And she didn't want fame for him. Um, And she kind of kept him out of any activities that would make him famous. And so she really focused on his classical musical career, um, and didn't really put him in the spotlight, and didn't also encourage him to pursue his vocal career, because she knew that as powerful as his voice was, as desirable as his voice was, that it would launch him into a fame that she didn't want for him, because of how sensitive he is, um, and and that was just her feeling that she knew that it was the right thing for him. And there's a moment too in the story where um, he's talking to, to Kitty about what he's supposed to do with uh with the song and and she's at this particular moment telling him, you know, maybe you should keep it for yourself. Maybe it isn't about the song, maybe the song has a greater purpose than fame. And he says, What great is there? And and then later um he's He's rethinking the situation where he's realizing that when you become desirable to, in this case, let's say, a giant audience, you know, an audience of millions, um, what they want from you, you know, this this need to be entertained by you, starts to have a negative effect on, starts to have to take this toll on you. And as he begins to experience that, he starts to understand why Barbara Holiday didn't want that for him, and begin to appreciate it, and and of course you also see the cost of things for him is that he's taking so many more opiates. Um, he, you know, mm-hmm. he's in the middle of saying I'm going to wean off, I'm going to reduce my my um, um, my need for these, and instead he's wrapping up because he just needs the extra energy. And I think that's one of the things that people that are um, pursuing fame or are in the middle of their fame experience is that the drugs they use are the drugs that help them keep, and really an inhuman case. I think that our lives aren't meant to be um, periods of, of, um, of push and periods of reflection, and um, I think that when you get caught up in a cycle of fame, you don't get the opportunity for rest and reflection, and I think it takes a very serious, Pull on people, and in, in a lot of the, the books I read in order to um, to write well uh, about things, that was something that I I felt I, I experienced for you know for Elton John reading his memoir right. and for Alicia Keys, and not that she had a drug addiction, but but in this this overwhelming pace that you're put to, mm-hmm. um, it's challenging, and at some point. You, you have to say, Okay, enough is enough.
0: I need to take a break or I need to pause or I need to rethink. Yeah, that's uh, you know, the um I think yeah, you're right, when it comes to, you know, singers, songwriters, authors, you know, the idea of, of having um fame or at least a recognition of a certain level um is important. Um but but then again, you know the
1: when Santiago is driving, there's a moment in this story where Santiago is driving along and someone drives up next to him and is, is playing one of his songs on the radio and is singing along, and kind of does this double take because he sees him and says, "Oh my God, that's you! That listening to the radio right now." And and he says, "You know, the recognition felt really good because so here's a here's a man who's devoted his childhood and his and his teenage life to music." Um, as a classical pianist playing, you know, the piano for eight hours a day, and, and that being this huge part of his life. But when you devote that much time to something, there's this desire to be recognized. There's a desire for someone to say, wow, this is an incredible talent you have, and thank you for sharing it with the world. And there's just this moment where he says the recognition felt so good. But then there's this whole other monster that you have to deal with where people want so much from you and um, – and you have
0: to live this intensely fast-paced life. Yeah, it's it's complicated. <laughs> you know, that, um, it's one of those things where you know, as you you know delve into the journey, you know, real life and in, in, in character journeys, that um, there is just so much um, that goes into you know navigating life you know i mean and it's uh and it's wonderful in your book because you you show the interplay um of how um of just kind of all, all of the different the interplay of the characters really just goes to show that in our real world experience you know that we also have characters with the same kind of um challenges, but also the ability to be, you know, inspiring or um, supportive is also there. Um, now, the I want to talk a second about um, your husband's song, um, Bird of Paradise. Uh, that particular song um, is one that um, really really um, addresses the – how one in life deals with the passing of someone. I mean, you know, it it talks about um, love me again, my angel, you know, and save me again, my angel. So can you tell – you know, and when I read through the um, lyrics of the song, to me it was – it. All I could think of was over the last few years with the COVID and the pandemic and so many people losing or having, you know, people close to them pass pass on um, quickly, that there's just like a whole lot of loss that people are dealing with. Um, so, can you tell us um, a little bit, you know, and I don't know how much of, you know, you can put in, uh from Dominic's perspective, but uh, tell us about, about, you know, again, a little bit more about the song and the idea of, you know, its connection to loved ones beyond.
1: Well, it's very much connected to the idea of loved ones beyond, but I think there was a moment, as I said, one of my main goals in writing this book was to lead my husband out of the Writer's block, the, the the block that was keeping him from achieving the song entirely. And um it was during the, the COVID pandemic that um the song was completed. And I had said to him, you know, I'm finishing up the novel and I'm circling sort of back to the part where the song is written and seems like we can write the song today. And he said, you know, that's not, I, it, 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 I guess that it had, been, it had been going on for many years. He said, you know, I'm a businessman. I, I don't get to be an artist. You, know, you can give yourself permission to be an artist. And, and so I said, we're not really doing anything today. Why don't we just write the song today? And he kind of looked at me kind of funny because how are we going to write the song in one day has been all of these years? And um, and there was this moment where it sort of like I had this great expectation of him writing this song whose lyrics were going to be perfect for this book I've been working on all these years. And he said to me, Michelle, the, the lyrics are for me. The lyrics are for this song. They... They are there for me. They're, they're not for you, and um, and it took me a while to get over, to get over that. And I did. It took me a few weeks to get over, and I came back around and I said, okay. And I woke, woke up and made him a tea and said, today's the day we write the song. And we kind of went through the same um, the same conversation, and then we sat down at the piano and I just kind of tried to move away, and there was this wonderful portal that opened between heaven, between his mother and him, and the song was written in 15 minutes. And I was just sort of off on the sidelines taking notes, writing down the work that he was writing down as he was singing them and writing them on the paper, with the piano. And and I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, the so beautiful and so perfect. And in the moment, I was writing the lines that helped the reader understand how these lyrics, which were perfect for my husband and perfect for his, his um, connection with his mother, how they were perfect for Santiago and they were perfect for the, for the story. And my editor, Stuart Horwitz that book for Architecture, um, I gave him the scene very, very shortly after. And he wasn't one that gave me a lot of praise um, throughout. That wasn't like his defining feature as an editor. But in this mm-hmm. particular scene, saying, oh, this is so beautiful. Oh, this is so perfect. Oh, my God, we've really achieved it. And um, and it was true. It was just this incredible moment when the song was written where I was so inspired and Dominic was so inspired and everything came out so perfectly and the scene where the song gets written is really my absolute favorite in the book. It's just it's just absolutely gorgeous. And um I just I'm so proud of the song. Um another fun story about the song is that um you know, now that it was written and music was complete and words were complete, Dominic wanted the best possible producer to, to bring it to life. And all all this time, all these years, he has been hearing violins, all these wonderful instruments, and he wanted it to materialize in the real world as beautifully as it had been in his imagination all these years. And he thought, who am I going to get to do this? Who who can possibly pull this speed the off? And he remembered uh, a dear friend it kind of came to him in a dream actually he kind of woke that up at three o'clock in the morning and said, "Oh my God, I need to contact james Raymond and James was a friend that he went to Kansas um from first grade to eighth grade and um and James was adopted, and uh Dominic's father was the sold pianos and um and I think he actually was the first person to teach James to play the piano, so there's this wonderful connection to them that you know back to childhood. But, um, but it, it, it turned out, and this is just kind of a fun little fact about James Raymond, that after he'd already established his own music career and he was already in his 30s, he discovered that his uh, biological father was um, uh, David Crosby of Crosby, Silva, Nash. And, <laughs> and then on, went on you know, to produce music together and, to, you know, tour the world uh, playing music together and had this wonderful relationship. But um, – he, Dominic, said, we've got to get in contact with James Raymond. And, of course, you know, it's been decades since they've talked. And um, I was able to reach out to him on Facebook. And um, he got back to him and we played him a song. And they caught up about, you know, the nuns feeding them soap and uh, beating them with rulers. <laughs> and <laughs> I had a, had a wonderful time just reminiscing and catching up. And then they got to work on this song. And it was everything that Dominic hoped for. Everything that he could have possibly imagined, and it was just so wonderful that he got to have that experience with someone that's uh, such a close child and such a wonderful Wow.
0: New that is a story. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, um, there's just so much in that, that is, that's wonderful. And, um, now, at what point? Was was it a point where you know it's like let's find um who someone who can produce it? What point did did uh, move from you know this was you know like a song for for him and his mother? You know, it's because of, I, you know, I saw a recent interview with, you know, Ed Sheeran, you know, and he talked about, you know, he sent all of these songs, and they were very personal, and then kind of put it out there, and it was like, oh, you know, for, for the world, and everyone else, uh, you know, either love or hate or critique or all of that kind of thing. So, um in this real life example, um it, you know, kind of, a, what was, what was the point where it went from, you know, this is kind of, my thing and to share, you know, my personal, um, uh, you know, release kind of thing to one allowing, you know, getting to the point of being able to to release it, I guess, enough to be able to put out and you know, for all the world to see and critique.
1: But, you know, I think that's the, that's the exact thing you're talking about is what all artists experience, and it was the same thing for Dominic releasing this song that was so personal as the same thing as me releasing this book to the world, because when you give your art to the world, when you publish it, um, it belongs to the people who listen to it. It belongs to the people who read it. It belongs to to them in their hearts. They internalize it, and it becomes something that is no longer the artist, but but the recipient of the art. And um, with this song, because it is this love ballad, this love song, you know, this idea that most people will assume. That it's a romantic song, that it's, it's a love song, and and Santiago says, you know, there's this moment where that that exact idea is expressed, like it's a love song for mom, and, and he says, you know, is that okay? He says, my mother is the first person I ever loved, and and so it is a love song, a love song of the most of the highest order, and um, and I think it's wonderful that um, some people will know that. I think it's wonderful that some people won't. Because for them, it's whoever they lost that they're talking they're right. to, and that could be a man, that could be a that could be a loved one, that's a son or a daughter, or a mother or a father, or or a girlfriend or a wife. Um, it, I think the way that the song comes across is it's absolutely universal, and one of the things we mm-hmm. want to do with, like you said, you know, this has been a time where there's been more than a usual amount of loss, and and the song and the book are both an opportunity for people to to experience their grief and to to process their grief in a in a meaningful and um and healthy way and that this song can be the mantra for the healing and the mantra for those who have lost, who have loved someone and lost. And in the story, Santiago when he delivers the song um lies, he says, I want to dedicate this to all of us who are, who have love someone and
0: love someone, and and I want to dedicate for, the, for that very thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a wonderful tribute for that. So we're down to the end, end of the show, Michelle. So is there any, um, anything else um, maybe that we didn't cover or maybe an important um, aspect of the book that we didn't cover that you, you want the listeners to know?
1: Um, I feel like you've been you've done such a wonderful job um, talking about all the things that are important. But I will just say that that I wrote this story to be both entertaining and meaningful. Um, as I received my own inspiration for the story and realized what that meant, and um, experienced all of the growth it required to to write it, as well as I, I believe that it, it has ultimately um, been in in the final product. Um, I think that I wanted to make sure that I delivered a story that you could enjoy because it was so much fun to read, but also left you with a great sense of something important for you to digest Mm -hmm. experience and take away.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you for your time today, Michelle. I've I've enjoyed talking about you and, and your book. And um, thank you for sharing.
1: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Great. Uh, everyone, again, today my special guest has been Michelle DeBellis. We've been talking about her new book, The Music We Make, a novel. And they can, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is com. That's M-I-C-A-T-L-L-E. R-E-N-E-B-E-B-E-L-L-I-S dot com. I'd like to close today's show by again playing the clip of Bird of Paradise, written and produced by Dominic DeBellis of DeBellis Music Company, ASCP. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.